Well, it is good to see all of you here on this Christmas morning. I'm so thankful that we can gather together and to worship the living Christ, not only born, but having been born, died, and yet lives again. We don't forget about the resurrection, even though this morning we are particularly mindful of his birth. They're all true. They're all simultaneously true and gloriously so. And so I welcome you this morning here on this beautiful Christmas day. You know, as I mentioned last night, the next time we will have this distinct privilege will not be until 2033 uh, when Christmas falls on a Sunday again. And so it will be 11 years from now until we have this really special privilege of gathering together on the Lord's day to worship him on his birth. I was telling Nicole last night, I said, you realize I'll be almost 60 years old when that had, that seems like, oh, I don't know. Uh, that's, that seems like forever away. And yet I know it'll be here before any of us know it as well, but I'm thankful you're here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then I want to invite you to Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. Father, thank you again for the privilege of being here this morning to remember the birth of your son, Lord Jesus, what a great and glorious day this was as you condescended and took upon yourself our humanity for our salvation. You lived in our place, you died in our place, you were raised from the dead for our salvation and you now sit upon your throne, as we just sang, ruling through all the world alone. We're grateful for that. But it would not have been so had you not come. It wouldn't have been what it is had you not come and paid the price for our sins. Glorified yourself in so doing. And so this morning as we consider you in these brief moments that we have together, I pray that our Christmas day would be made not by the gifts that we've been given or will give, but by the truth of who you are and what you have come to do. So speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, draw us to Christ, give us great joy in him. We pray this all in his precious name. Amen. Well, Terry read for us already this morning, which I'm so grateful that he did, from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But let me invite you to go back there. I know this isn't the typical Christmas readings. We did those last night at our Christmas Eve service from the Gospels. But if I could point out, this is the Apostle Paul's Christmas story. This is the Apostle Paul's version of what happened on this day so many years ago when he writes this, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He goes on to say in verse 6, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir 
through God. You know, as we gather this morning on the Lord's Day and on Christmas Day, we join our minds and our hearts and our voices to a long lineage, a long line of men and women and boys and girls who have worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ, who have bestowed upon Him the honor and the glory that is due to His name because we believe and we confess to be true the things that Scripture has said, the things that the church has affirmed down through all of history. The Nicene Creed was an important and fundamental building block in the history of the Christian church. So many years ago, in AD 325, so 325 years after the Lord Jesus Christ, the church gathered together and they put their collective mind together in order to confess what the scriptures teaches to be true. And in that great confession, that great creed, they wrote this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, as we just sung, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made. And then here's the foundational part for our text this morning. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. The Apostle Paul has enumerated that for us this morning in the text, but when the fullness of time came. In other words, in God's perfect timing, when the world had lay under the curse of sin and the brokenness of sin long enough, God sent forth His Son. The birth of Jesus Christ and the coming of Jesus Christ was not early, nor was it late, but it was when the fullness of time, at just the right time, Christ came, sent by His Father, divinely commissioned by His Father. When we read in John's Gospel, in John chapter 17, Jesus affirms that it was the Father's plan, that that this is the way it would happen so many, many years ago in eternity past that the Father and the Son and the Spirit had worked together and developed this plan and so that in the fullness of that time, at the right time, Christ was born. He became the Son of Man so that we might become the sons of God. Think about that. Jesus Christ became Son of Man so that we could become sons and daughters of the living God. He exchanged the glories of heaven for the 
lowliness of human existence. We look at the story of Christmas and our sentimental side when we look at the pictures and we look at the paintings and we look at the Christmas ornaments and we say, yes, he he came, he was of humble birth. I mean, look what he was born into. A, a, A barn, for lack of a better term. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. He didn't even have proper clothes. He, he was just born into to humiliatingly poor circumstances. And the reality this morning, brothers and sisters, is this. That had Jesus Christ been born the richest earthly king ever known to man. Had he come... In any other circumstance, he would have still come in humanity, the the greatest of which is still poor. The greatest king, the richest man on planet earth is just as poor as what we consider the poorest man. It is our humanity that is broken. It is our humanity that is sinful. There is no difference in any of us. And so Christ coming, he, it is not just that he comes in low estate in the world's estimation. He truly comes in low estate in our flesh. He comes to resemble the poorest of the poor. Those who are broken and held in the bondage of sin. And why did he do that? He placed himself under that we might be placed with. Named with him. Sons of God. Notice what Paul says. That when the fullness of time had come, when when God in his divine plan at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's the brokenness of our humanity. That's the, that's the, uh, the poorness of the quality of who we, we are under the law. But he does so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Who is adopting here? It's the father, the creator of everything. The King of kings and the Lord of all lords. The one who owns everything. You know, there's no shortage of movies that have been produced in our lifetime, in our culture where, you know, I hate to always pick at it, but Hallmark. You know, it's some person who's suffering and they're and find themselves in terrible financial straits and then all of a sudden wouldn't you know it they've been a they they're, they're actually they've been adopted into their long lost family who happens to be a king in some made up european country and all of a sudden life is grand and our imagination begins to wonder doesn't it Man, I, I wish, you know, Jeff Bezos would adopt me. I wouldn't have any more worries. I, I wish I had a long-lost uncle, like the movies, that, you know, would leave me his estate. And yet, as Christians, we have something so much greater. 
We have been adopted by the very creator and owner and sustainer of all things. Why? Because in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law so that we would receive the adoption as sons. Welcomed into the family of the living God. Beckoned to come and eat at his table. To partake of all of his blessings. To know him. To be loved by him. And to love him. And to worship him in return. The son of man came so that we might become sons and daughters of the living God. Until that point all we knew and all we know if you have not trusted in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ, that it was on your behalf that he did this, you still only know this, and that is the brokenness of sin. That's all we knew before. We really were the paupers and the beggars. Up and until Christ met us and came to us, and and not only came, but came perfectly to us, now we have the privilege of being called sons and daughters of the king. There have been many times in the story of human history where that looks like that would be all we ever knew was the brokenness of sin. And yet we glean from the Apostle Paul and his very brief, succinct summation of the Christmas story, this God has always had a plan. God's plan, brothers and sisters, predates the founding of the earth. In eternity past, because God knows all and God writes all and God controls all, God has always had a plan. And it starts all the way back in eternity past and it is promised to mankind for the first time in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The darkest day in human history. There have been many bad days since then. But none darker than this day. For all the dark days in human history since that point came about because of that day. Every sick day you've had to call into work is a result of that day. Every war that we have had to fight comes about as a result of sin and the brokenness of the world that entered the world on that day. That is the worst day in human history, and yet God does not let that day go by without His sweet and precious promises, because that's who He is. And he says to Eve, listen, the fall has occurred, sin has entered, death has resulted from sin and all that goes along with that. But fear not, I will put enmity between your seed and the serpent. And he may bruise his heel, but fear not, one is coming, he will crush his head. Once and for all. 
And now Paul speaks of that day when the fullness of time, when that promise had marinated and stewed long enough, God sent his son, the serpent crusher. But I want you to notice this. Not only did he send his son, he sent his son in the right way. It's one thing to do it. It's another thing to do it right. God acts in the perfect way. Notice what he says. He describes it in two ways. He said God sends his son as a fulfillment for all of those promises born of a woman. What is that communicating to us? Jesus Christ had a human body just like you do. Jesus Christ knew true humanity. He didn't come as a spirit. He didn't come as as, as, as deity, so much so that he could not be touched with humanity. No, he was tempted, Hebrews says, in every point like you are. How were you tempted this week? How were you tempted? Did you succumb? Did you succumb to that temptation? Jesus never did. And yet he felt the full weight of the temptation that you felt. It it is likely, and I don't think it's hyperbole or exaggeration to say he felt more temptation than you feel. Since when have you ever had Satan come to you and speak to you in person and say, if you'll only bow down, if you'll only do this, if you'll only do that. Jesus did after 40 days of fasting in a wilderness, in a weakened human state. Satan comes and he offers the worst. He does his worst to tempt Jesus and cause Jesus to fail. Why? Because he understands Jesus is truly human. He is born of a woman. Satan knows he can't get God to fail. He knows he can't dethrone God. But what about this humanity angle? And so he comes after that. And he tries to get Christ to fail on the grounds of his humanity. And Christ will not do it. True humanity. He's born of a woman. I I know we elaborated on this for quite some time last year or maybe even the year before. I lose track of time when we talked about the two natures of Christ, that he was truly God and yet truly man. And the miracle of the hypostatic union, he is both without injury to either. 100% God, 100% man, yet his humanity, he had no sin. He did not sin. And that goes to the second portion of what the Apostle Paul says. Not only was he born in true humanity, tasting everything for us, But he was born under the law. He was born under the law. Why is that important? Because we are under the law. We are under the law. We are born under the law. The righteous commandments of God. We are accountable to the law. 
We bear full responsibility for breaking that law. And then we absorb the curse for breaking the law. Because we sin. That's what we do when we break the law. That is sin. That is to violate God's person, God's rule, God's ethic, God's commands. And we bear that law in its full sense. Notice how Jesus comes. He comes under the law. Bearing the full weight and responsibility of keeping that law just as you and I have to do. Or face the consequences. And so God not only has a plan, but he has the right plan to do it in the right way. And it starts with his son being born. Taking upon himself our humanity. Why, Paul? Look at verse 5. Here's the reason he did it. So that he might redeem those. That's you and that's me. So put yourself right here in this verse. So that he might redeem me who is under the law. So that he might redeem us who were under the law. What does it mean to be redeemed? And its technical meaning is to be bought back again. It, the picture is of a, of a slave who is uh, bought out of the slave market of sin. He, he was created and God owns us by right of creation, all of us. But we rebel against him and we go away and serve another master, namely sin and Satan. And Christ came, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might go to the slave market and take us out again. And own us not only by right of creation, but of right of redemption as well. Doubly bought. Doubly paid for. Now how did he do this? Well, because he was born under the law, he fulfills all of the law's demands. In other words, he perfectly fulfilled the law on your behalf. The greatest gift that humankind has ever been given is this, a Savior who obeyed and kept the law for them. There is no greater gift. A Savior who kept the law for you. How many of you have ever had something come up in your life that was impossible for you to do? I mean, you just literally could not do it. And someone else comes along with the ability to do it in your behalf and they do it in your behalf. And then they credit you with having done it. No, parents don't lie. But how many of you have done your kids' homework? Right? They just struggle. They struggle. You're just trying to help them through that. And yeah, maybe you didn't write it down for them. But you sure led them down the garden path to come out with the right answer. And they're so proud when they come home with that paper. Who did the work? Jesus came and he kept the law on our behalf. 
He met the law's demands. And then, having passed the test, having fulfilled all of the law's demands. Now think about the law. Think about all that is contained in the law. To love the Lord your God fully with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and never to have any variation or diminishment of that, let alone to hate Him. Jesus did. I dare say this, we have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength even this morning like we should have. But that's okay. Christ has. On our behalf. For us and for our salvation. He came down to live and to fulfill all righteousness. By keeping the law on our behalf. Oh brothers and sisters. I don't think we give Christ's active obedience. As a truly born Human man enough credit. You have violated and I have violated the law of God and God himself over and over. But Jesus never did. He was born under the law with all the demands that we face. Yet he does it. Because he's God. He keeps the law. But here's the miraculous part. Part of that redemption is that he then takes the full curse for those who break the law. He did it perfectly. He fulfilled all righteousness. Never a hint, nor trace, nor stain of sin. If anybody passes God's test it's Jesus he's the only one who does he has every right then to walk and to pass out of the school of God's testing and go on his merry way but he doesn't he turns back and he looks at his people who have failed miserably time and time and time and time and time and time again and he says what is their punishment death The wrath of God for all of eternity. That's what's coming to them. They deserve it. And we throw our hands up and we say guilty. Righteous. That is right and true. And Jesus in his true humanity. Having kept the law for us. Says I will take their punishment for them. But you did nothing Jesus. I know. But that's why I've come. To stand in their place. So that they might stand in mine. Son of man that we might become sons of God. I will stand in their place. So that they might receive the adoption as sons and stand in my place. That is the greatest gift that could ever be given.
He would give the prize of the law righteously fulfilled to us. He would grant us his standing as sons of the living God that we might be forever in the presence of God and enjoy fellowship with him. Notice what he says in verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And not just a son. Paul goes further, doesn't he? He says, you'll not just be a son, you'll be what? An heir. The one who receives everything. The one whose father's estate is granted to him. All that is God's becomes ours in Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8 verse 17. That we are joint heirs with Christ. Think about it. What does Christ get? What's the most precious possession? Jesus tells us in John 17. It is the love of the Father. For the Son. And that becomes ours as much as it is Jesus's. Why? Because he came down for us and for our salvation. That we might receive the adoption as sons. And then go back up to verse 6. Because you are sons, he has now given us his spirit into our hearts. And we cry this Abba, Father. The most intimate Aramaic term one could use for one's father. Abba, Father, we enter directly into his presence. With a mutual love, care, provision for God gives us what had previously only existed between himself and his son. And he says, now it's yours. Now it's yours. But it would have never happened had Christ not come down. Had Christ not come down. We talked about it a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. It is the consequent absolute necessity that Christ had to have come and been born Truly man. In our place. So that as the hymn writer said. In my place. In our place. Condemned he stood. Then sealing our pardon. With his blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a savior. See it all goes together. We think, well, we'll think about that when we get to Easter and the cross. No, we'll think about it now. Because this is the whole reason that he came. What a glorious salvation. What a glorious gift we've been given. What will you do with that gift now? What will you do with that gift? Will you receive it? By faith, there's nothing else required. In fact, the, the context of the entire book of Galatians from which we are reading this morning 
is that your salvation, your being made right with God, doesn't come by anything other than faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that acknowledges, I can do nothing, but He's done everything. Faith that acknowledges Christ alone has paid the penalty for my sins and I am resting and hoping and clinging to that. And because of His goodness, because of His mercy to me, I am now a son or a daughter of the living God. Will you accept that gift by faith? Or do you sit there and Mock the gift by letting it go unopened, unused, rejected, uncared about, uncared for, not wanted. We all know how that would make us feel had we given someone a gift and they take the gift and they promptly set it off to the side, never to be touched. Don't do that with this gift. Too much is on the line. Too much is at stake. Your eternal joy and eternal life with your Creator and your God awaits. But it will only come as we open the gift of who Christ is and what He's done as we've talked about this morning. And we accept that merely by faith. And in so doing... We're made sons and daughters. We're freed from the slavery of sin. The curse of the law is removed. Christ's righteous standing before His Father is then given to us. Oh, what a gift. May the Lord take this gift and impress it upon our minds and our hearts this morning on this Christmas day. If you've never believed that, today is the day. If you've never accepted the gift God has given you in Christ, provided for you in Christ, accept it today. Today is the day of salvation. He waits and He calls and He commands, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten, the only and unique Son of God, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. For those of you who have accepted, let us rejoice today. Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. You know, Christians ought to be the most celebratory people on the face of the planet. I'm not a huge soccer guy I know that's an American way to say it well you watch as the World Cup just ended and the nation of Argentina wins the whole thing in dramatic fashion and that country declares a national holiday in their so that is nothing compared to the celebrations that Christians should wake up with every morning of their life what riches or ours in Christ. Christian, may they be yours in abundance today. May you realize it more than you ever have on this day and every day from now on. Let's pray. Father, you have been 
so good to us and we don't deserve to even know about this. And yet you and your kindness have revealed it in your word. You've given us the scriptures to testify to it. You've given us the power and the testimony of transformed and changed lives that give credence and validate the claims of this book. You've brought all of us here this morning to hear this expounded upon and look into it in greater detail. We are without excuse. You have been better to us than certainly we have ever deserved. And you've not manifested those things to us, Father, to then browbeat us and then tell us, okay, now you go do something to earn this gift. It's not what you're doing at all. You give the gift. You reveal the gift. And then you beckon to us to receive it. So Holy Spirit, cause anyone here this morning that has never received the gift that is Jesus Christ to receive it by faith alone today. And for those who have, may we leave celebrating in such a fashion that the world is left in wonder and awe at what could cause someone to have and live with such joy and hope. May our celebration be worthy and consistent and equal to the measure of what you have provided in Christ. We love you, Lord Jesus. We are so grateful for your life, for your condescension, for your coming to us for our salvation. We're thankful that though you are not here physically, one day you will be. And until that day, you've given us your spirit who lovingly guides us and points us always to you, always to you, that we might live with the hope and the joy of what we've discussed this morning. So, Lord, be glorified in our lives. Work in us as you know how best to do and what we need and cause us to go throughout the rest of this Christmas day celebrating the gift that is Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.